0: Welcome to episode 177 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with John Schlossberg. He's
1: the founder of EVEN, a financial technology company, basically helping make people be better with money. Uh, we dig into uh, the reason behind starting the company, how things are going, uh, his background as well. Really, really awesome episode. Uh, so great to chat with John. Before we get into it, though, we want to thank Weno for bringing this
0: episode to your ears. Weno is... Just the best digital product agency out there. They're doing incredible work for some incredible companies. I think Jenny Johansson won a bajillion, like, site of the year, like, portfolio of the year. And I knew, I don't know, we talk about her a lot lately because she just launches like crazy and portfolio, but it's dope. really good. Yeah. She won a ton of awards for it. Like, I think, awards and <laughs> a bunch of other ones. I don't know. I saw a bunch of them being tweeted. Or no. Instagram? I don't know, something like that.
1: Jenny and the rest of her team have worked on products like Zero, Red Bull TV, Lonely, po- Lonely Planet, Reuters, Jelly, uh, way back in the day, Google Santa Tracker. Uh, their website has a ton of awesome case studies that you can go and learn from and be inspired by. That's at ueno.co. That's U E N O.co. They're sponsoring the show because they aren't trying to sell you anything. They don't look for a return. They just want you to check out their work. Be inspired. You should follow them on their social media because they are hilarious uh, on their Twitter. Hilarious. Instagram and dribble. All those links are in our show notes. We love their team. We can't thank them enough for sponsoring our show. So once again, go to their website, waynote.co, and get inspired by Jenny and crew. Uh, that's U-E-N-O dot C-O.
0: Yeah, there are a lot more people than just Jenny there. She's just <laughs> kind of getting the spotlight right now. She, yeah. Uh,
1: She's rad. You can join them too. If you scroll to the bottom of their website, they're hiring product designers and a design intern in 2017 here in San Francisco, as well as product designers in New York City. Click those links at the bottom of their website. Tell them we sent you. Get a job. Work with those awesome, awesome people at Wayno. Thanks so much, Wayno, for sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get into episode 177 with John Schlossberg.
2: My name is John. Meowmo John. Um, Most people probably don't know who I am. Unless and for good reason, unless they've read that extremely long Quora essay, <laughs> unless uh, they
1: read Quora or
2: Twitter, that blew up that <laughs> one day, the one time, uh, three years after it was written. <laughs> Thankfully, not posthumous. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I I work at a company called Even. Uh, it's a startup. Uh, we've been at it for a little over two years. Um, we are trying to build what I would describe as a new type of bank. Uh, One that manages your money for you. By far the hardest design problem I've ever had to solve. If I knew how hard it was when I first started, probably would have shot away from it. Isn't
0: money just easy, though? Like,
2: Uh, You just do money. Yeah, money's really easy. Uh, (laughs) It affects everyone, and everyone's different, and so you'll be fine. I money, you
0: money, he, she money. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I would I would recommend staying away from money things. Uh, Oh, I'm
0: expert at that,
2: (laughs) my dude. That's the thing; it's in our life. It's very easy to ignore it, but when you're like focusing on that every single day, it's uh, it's it's been pretty hard for me. Um, Yeah, I I actually one thing that's I should probably say up front is I'm not a very good designer with a capital D. Like I don't read designer news i didn't because that's about, what makes you good i didn't know i didn't know about <laughs> i think this that thing. helps <laughs> i didn't you, know about this thing that you mentioned the the open the office hours um uh, yeah dustin's thing open office
0: hours yeah i kind of live out, out of office rock. hours why yes. is that
2: um honestly it's just that so i uh, is it
0: purposeful or lazy
2: <laughs> a, lo- a little bit of both okay i'm into um, that no, it's mostly purposeful okay so the thing is I actually don't think that, and if you've read the core article, you're probably like 20 steps ahead of- The core article was about should
0: designers have a seat at the table, is yeah. that correct?
2: I just don't think that design is that important. That might be that blasphemous. <laughs> mic <Mike> drop. Absolute blasphemous. <laughs> he can't
0: drop the mic, it's on a stand.
2: Shit. <laughs> so what, design with a capital D. I think design with a lowercase d is incredibly important. What the heck do I mean yeah. by that? Um Explain.
0: Well, the uppercase letter, (laughs) let's talk about the ascenders and descenders, cap height and x height.
2: Figuring stuff out is super important. I love figuring stuff out, solving problems, and design is one tool among many tools for solving problems. Are you talking about pixel paint? (laughs) Uh, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Uh, Definitely not pixel paint, because I have no idea what that is, so I don't think I'm talking about that. Like,
0: people outside design tend to talk about design as like slapping a coat of paint on a thing.
2: Oh um if you think that's what design is we probably should we probably should have a talk (laughs) i was
0: asking if that's what you were talking about yeah yeah, that's one example of it yeah
2: right um i mean we we don't need to get into this because you can like spend hours and hours defining yeah what's design like what design design is we could ask a hundred designers about the definition of design and you'll get nowhere words are bad should should designers call themselves designers that's the thing. That's a very good question. That is an excellent question. In fact, one of the things that I really try to emphasize with people around me is this idea that everyone is a designer because ultimately your goal in figuring stuff out is to come up with some idea that solves a problem better than anyone else can. But that idea could come from anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, this what I'm about to tell you is is true. So we use this startup at our office called Managed by Q. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And they employ um, operators, people who come into the office and build stuff, clean stuff, make stuff work. Um, If you wanted to use a term which might be a little bit pejorative to describe the work that they do, you could say like janitorial work. Right. So like you could say the person that I was talking to in the story I'm about to tell is a janitor. And we were trying to solve a problem, a design problem, with the way we were showing information on a on a screen. Our metrics, our like business success metrics, to everyone in the office. And we're trying to figure out the optimal way to communicate this information, such that every the optimal place to put the screen, I should say, Mm -hmm. such that everyone would see it. So there was no ignoring the reality of the the metrics. And this is a design problem. And I'm a I'm a designer, if you look at my resume, right? I We employ really good designers. Ryan, my co-founder, is an amazing designer. Worked at Facebook. Um, and we couldn't solve this problem. And here's this managed by Q janitor, although I knowing this individual, and I know he's way more than that, and that's true of almost every individual, but uh, you could call him a janitor. And he was able to solve the problem of where we should put this monitor to ensure that everyone would see it in like two seconds. Is he not a designer? Did he not solve that design problem? If in the conversation that he happened to overhear, I looked at him or Ryan looked at him and said, you're not a designer. Don't talk to us about this design problem. What Would would he have felt good? Yeah. (laughs) Good enough to... Give us the solution.
0: Do you need to have a specific job title in order to solve a fucking problem? No, it's ridiculous. Do <laughs> yeah. you
2: need to be able to use Sketch in order to solve a problem? Nah, Do need- dog. Figma. <laughs> 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 I'm, so- I'm sorry. Man. I'm sorry. I'm, totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I won't push that button again. Um, the obvious answer to this question is no. Uh, everyone has strengths and weaknesses, and given the problem you're trying to solve, some strengths are more necessary than others. But you never know where those strengths will be. So if you use terms like designer with a capital D to exclude people, just if, even if you just want to be super pragmatic about it, you're going to, by definition, potentially exclude the best answer to problems that you solve if you use languages, if you use uh, labels that are exclusionary. So try to stay away from those, and that's kind of why I try to live under a rock. It's like I just don't want to associate myself with that stuff because I know that I'll get really into it. And I'm trying to almost be hyperbolic in setting an example of how anyone can apply their brain and their intellectual horsepower to solving problems regardless of their background, uh, regardless of what some arbitrary organizational structure and its arbitrary titles says that person is responsible for to try to be as inclusive as possible so
0: <laughs> speaking of background how did you get to
2: be a capital d designer john schlossberg <laughs> uh, an accident uh that, that's probably I think that's why, most people right well yeah i mean the, the the truth is that uh i'm not sure i've ever told anyone this before great so my brothers my i have an older brother he's four years older than me and no he, one knew <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, Your parents are going to be shocked when they hear this. He, uh, he and I get along really, really well, actually. But maybe like, if you asked me that no one knew question 10 years ago, I probably would have said it's a surprise um, that he and I are related. Uh, but he had this best friend growing up. I was like seven at the time. He was, uh, I don't know, 11. Um, and this best friend and I really did not get along. I hated this kid. Uh, I hesitate to use that word, but he and I really did not get along. And he was around all the time, which is like problematic for a <laughs> seven-year-old. Um, and one day, he made a website. And um, because of our, you could say, competitive relationship, uh, I was like, oh, if this kid can make a website, I have to be able to do that better than him. Uh, so I had motivation. And sat down and tried to make one for the first time. Wait, at seven? At seven years old, yeah. (laughs)
0: Jesus. Um, I was like playing soccer with my neighbors and like losing and getting dirt shoved in my mouth I think you were having
2: a much more healthy childhood (laughs) than I was.
1: You were living in like the Hunger Games, but where you have to build productive things
2: instead. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta start early (laughs) with the Hunger Games. Okay, where was this?
0: Where did this take place geographically?
2: I grew up in a suburb of Boston called Canton, Canton, Massachusetts, Um, which by the way, again, just like pure luck. Uh, I didn't choose the family I was born into or the town that I was born in, but Canton is an amazing place because it has one of the best public school systems in the country and also an incredibly low cost of living. That ratio of public school quality to cost of living, it's like one of the most undervalued ratios for producing people who can achieve great things. I would say. Because my, my dad's a funeral director. My mom like sells needlepoint kits on the internet. I don't know if you know what needlepoint is, but basically it's, it's kind So of, millionaires <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> kind of like <laughs> the exact opposite of millionaires. <laughs> but great education. Yeah. And we could because of the low cost of living, we could afford to get exposed to seeing the world, traveling a little bit. Um and and those things have really sort of shaped who I am today, I think. And again, just pure luck. Um, but, but anyway, going back to this yeah. seven-year-old, he made a website. I, I had to make one better, so I did. Kind of, It was fun. Found it to be fun and just did that a lot. Did you guys school. bond over it? Like, hey, man, you know, we're both actually no. kind of making I wish, websites. I, eh? like, I could sit here and lie and say, yes, of course. We, <laughs> we, we should over start it. an <laughs> internet startup, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we didn't bond over it. He was very mad at this. That yours website. was better. I don't think he admitted it was better. Maybe it wasn't. It probably wasn't better. I thought it was better. Oh, of course um, he did. But he continued making websites, and I'm pretty sure he does that today, actually. The competitive nature caused I him mean, to- I mean, do you think? He was 11.
0: He was so out of touch with the market today. He was an old. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there's
1: a very small but plausible possible chance that
2: he's listening right now saying, God damn it. It's possible. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't remember my name, and he won't reach out to me about this. But he inspired me to start working on a website, and I did that. And I just kept doing it because it was fun. I started doing it for like video games that I was playing. Eventually I convinced people to give me money to do it. And that was sweet. And so I just did it more. Um, but it was never something I wanted to do professionally, if a seven or eleven or fifteen year old can think about professional things. I actually wanted to be an FBI agent.
0: I wanted to I mean that that sounds more like a seven or eleven year old (laughs) ideal.
2: This is the yeah. I Um, was
0: like between astronaut and rock star. One of the two, maybe both. (laughs) I don't know. A so, rock star uh, so
2: I have to add a bit of detail, which might make you hate me again, which is cool. I didn't want to be a regular FBI agent. I wanted to be a forensic psychologist for the FBI. All right. I'm into this. I'm uh, into this. Like, so to make it, to bring it back down to reality. So you were CSI no, Canton, lo- Massachusetts. Like law, law and order. Like the person who comes in the room and is like, I know why this guy's behaving. Oh, iced tea. Yeah. I wanted to be iced tea. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. Um, And so that's what I want to do. That was my life plan. And I actually went to college and started studying psychology because that was one track to get into the FBI. Go on and get your master's in psychology and then become an FBI agent. So for for reference, both of Brian's parents were FBI agents. No way! (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Oh, we, we we can't spend the entire <laughs> podcast talking about this, but we will definitely talk about it's it. It's all after. classified, man. <laughs> <laughs> Top secret. Shit. Uh, That's do, cool. Do they, do they, were they happy? Agent
1: Lovin' is just the best thing ever. <laughs> agent Lovin', yeah. Uh, were they happy?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, should, should I go back and become an FBI agent now? Uh, you can't answer that. Well, I can't answer that. How, how that,
0: is even doing financially? <laughs> That's not the time. To be an FBI
2: agent, I'll put it that way. I'm not going to give up on this. Yeah, I was going to
1: say like, uh, have you read the New York Times lately? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, in many ways. Uh, so let me, let me finish the story. Yeah, we get, like, sorry. Um, we never do that. So <laughs> at, at the time, when I was like a sophomore in college, the FBI had this program. And I don't think they do it anymore, and your parents might know. Yeah, they, they called it like rising stars or something like that. Mm. Where they would bring uh high potential, so they or so they thought undergraduates to Quantico and I had them shadow an FBI agent. Um and I did this and within like 20 minutes it was abundantly clear to me that this was not the career path that i should go on i done goofed
0: (laughs) was was the shadowing mostly a cubicle
2: yes exactly (laughs) and like a cubicle where the like field agent in charge uh like was shitting on the guy that i was shadowing for no reason that i could understand like really bureaucratic red tape stuff um and i was in hindsight this makes perfect sense to me but at the time i was i was like a 19 year old, I didn't know anything about myself. Uh, So this was shocking because my entire life had been planned out Mm -hmm. um, and it completely derailed it. And so at that point it was too late for me to change my major um, and I was stuck. And I graduated in 2009, which was like the worst time to graduate in American history since the Great Depression. And so an agency in New York offered me a job The day that I graduated. Rookie move
0: agency in New York.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They didn't know what they were getting themselves into.
0: Um, Does the agency have a name? Huge.
2: That's a pretty good agency to get hired by. At the time, though, not so huge. Not so well known. They were really small. Um, But they offered me a job as their first product designer. Oh, And they didn't really know what that meant, and I definitely didn't know what that meant. (laughs) Wait,
1: What? They, they, At, they uh, because you were freelancing through college or something, or
2: yeah, I he, think he did websites. He, so you made t- a website when you were seven, t- and they were like, I'll, I'll "God damn a story this guy!" About, is... About what happened, how this happened, and, and uh, the person who is in this story probably listens to this, so it'll be very amusing to hear if he agrees with this telling of the story. Okay, um, is, it, is it a friend of ours? I don't know. We'll we'll find out. <laughs> you don't know all okay. our friends. We're gonna get to the name. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, so uh, I went to interview with them uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, I was in upstate New York. That's where I went to school at Skidmore. And I took the train down and I interviewed with like 30 people. It felt like 30 people. And then the creative director of of Huge of the agency came in last to interview me. And his qu- he had one question. His question was like, what have you done? And I basically went on like a 70-minute rant about everything, every project I had worked on, what was awesome about it, Um, all this cool pro- these cool problems I had solved. He didn't say anything for like 70 minutes. He just looked at me. And when I was done with my rant, he looked me straight in the eye. His name is Joe Stewart. He was a creative director of Huge at the time. He looked me straight in the eye and he said, John, I think you're a pretty cool guy, but you definitely need to be out of your comfort zone for a while. And then just got up and left. And I was just like, keep in mind, I'm like a 21-year-old at the time. Uh, And I was like, what just happened? What, so is that a, a no? <laughs> I had no idea. And then the recruiter came in and was like, so Joe thinks you're interested. <laughs> uh, that went great. <laughs> and then I just then they kicked me out. I uh, didn't say anything. And then I got a call a, f- uh, a few days later from one of the other partners and said, uh, we'd like to offer you a job as a product designer. And at that point, as soon as, he had, as soon as he said to me, you need to be out of your comfort zone for a while, number one, I knew he was right. I knew that this guy just owned me that I was sitting there for like 70 minutes telling him how awesome I was and had no clue about anything. That my calibration of what awesome even meant was so far from correct that it wasn't even worth explaining. And he just owned me. And I was like, I need to be around people like that more. That was like a transformational moment for me, actually. Was him, this guy, Joe Stewart, owning me. So thank you, Joe, if you're listening to me um, tell this story for the first time. Um, and that's how I became a designer. It was like, uh, just, it was the job that I could get in the recession. Um, simply because it's something that I did for like 15 years. If I played the piano for 15 years every day after school for like three hours, I'd be pretty sick at that too, I think. It's just that I didn't play the piano. Sick pianist, John Schlossberg. <laughs> I just did yeah, Schlossberg guy. Terrible at playing the piano. <laughs> But pretty decent at like making websites enough where someone gave gave me a chance, right? Like totally. he gave, he took a chance on me. Why? Why do you think that was? I Cause that's I, what the song c- says. Because you were a cool
1: guy. Because you played piano on the side.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I honestly don't know. On if I you never asked say,
0: him.
2: No, huh.
0: I wish so. Joe get at me.
2: Maybe. <laughs> Yo, Joe. You guys need to do a podcast with Joe okay. in which he tells you about all the people he's taking chances on because <laughs> he's taking ch- chances on a lot of people. And like a lot, there's a lot of designers out there, I'm sure, who are just waiting for their chance. They need someone to take a chance on them and to put them in an environment where they can learn really, really fast. And That's exactly what huge was. I call it like graduate school for design that paid me. Like I went in thinking I was good and everyone that I worked with was so much better than me. And um, even just being around them, it just rubs
0: off. It's like that you don't know what you don't know But it's like you don't know what you can or can't do yet. Like, it's—I experienced this as soon as I moved to the Bay, and I was just like, "Wait, I'm real bad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This this is real not good." (laughs) The thing is, I was a jerk, and I thought I was good. See, I thought I was good too. (laughs) I'd worked
0: for all these big clients, and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be great." Like, Hmm. my work is still up on like Bed Bath and Beyond's website. (laughs) That's super weird to me. Yeah, but I knew nothing.
2: Yeah, I, I thought I knew everything, actually knew nothing. The I, I showed up for work. They threw me on on redesigning target.com. And I was working with like seven of the best designers at the agency. And I was like making my mock-ups and like, Oh, I'm so proud of this. I'm gonna bring it to the design review and they're gonna love it. And then the other designers would present their work first, because I was the most junior person. And I would just look at their work. Skip me. Pass. Just, <laughs> out, Can I leave? Can I just go? Re- rethink what I'm doing with my life? Is that possible? I'm I'm only doing mock-ups for now.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, Wireframes. I
1: want to come back to Huge because I have a few more questions there. Uh, but quick interjection. So Joe took a chance on you. Now you're
0: a co-founder of a company. It is where a pity that our theme song isn't Take a Chance on Me right now. Oh,
2: take yeah. a chance on me. <laughs>
0: That's all I can think. Every time yeah, we should take a that. chance, take a chance, take a chance. On me. Uh,
1: you know, you're hiring people now. Uh, you're looking... For designers to hire what are things that you would look for to say maybe this person isn't the most qualified in terms of having worked at this place or shipped this product oh that's such a good question but i'm willing to take a chance on them because
2: yeah so if i were to sit here and rationalize post-hoc why joe took a chance on me i would say it's because the work that i had done was so like I was working by myself. I'd always worked by myself. I was delivering like entire websites, the entire stack of a website, figuring out what it should say, writing the copy, doing the visual design, doing everything, actually building it, having to think so critically about the work and so holistically about the work that he was like, This person, if I can just fix him it's like high leverage like, so so this brain of his is, the brain is pretty deece <laughs> i imagine that's what was going through his yeah. head and that's exactly what we do at even is is um uh sure portfolio matters like you need to show that you can make stuff that's that's good but more than that what we really look for is that you can think critically that you can think critically about pretty much anything. That you can sit there and ask good questions, which allow you to understand what's important. Mm-hmm. And then put pieces together and say, okay, I know what is what I should spend my time on. Because that's the hardest skill to develop. In fact, you you could say that if you don't develop it by the time you're, I don't know, 25, that you just get so accustomed to doing things a different way that it just won't develop organically anymore.
1: I don't know that that's true. We're talking about identifying what to work on in the first place?
2: Yeah, cri- just critical thinking in general. It's the type of thing where you really need to be around people all the time that, that really emphasize that to get good at it because of how hard it is. Um, and so we really look for that uh, because the design stuff, if there's like the essence there, you can pretty much tell if the essence is there. The essence of like what good, good, like taste would be a good synonym. Like you can tell if someone knows what's good they might not be able to produce it yet they might be very critical of their own work they might be they might love their own work, but deep inside they know that they're not at the level of of like the best taste out there. Mm-hmm. You can really t- tell that I think from a portfolio very quickly, but that's not that pales in comparison, I would say to the importance of like can I think about what I'm doing to prioritize how I spend my time? Um, Did you learn those skills at huge? No question, no question. I grew the skills at huge. I think that again, this is just pure good fortune. I think that sure. the psychology degree that I had, ah, yeah, yeah. really taught me to think critically. Um, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with with like psychology papers, but, um, oh yeah, my <laughs> my old pastime psychology <laughs> most, most papers. Of the papers yeah. cr- most of them are crap. <laughs> okay. In fact, there's been a lot of news recently about how many psychology papers are just not reproducible. Um, they're just crap. The phrase psychobabble comes to mind. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Love the phrase. Um, and I had this professor, again, like I didn't choose this professor or just good fortune. This professor who I spent a ton of time with um, in his office just talking about work that he thought wasn't crap. And it really allowed me to see through um, the bullshit. I don't know if that's a word I'm allowed to say, but we're big fans of the word bullshit. Yeah. And that, in fact that might be like a more a more approachable way to describe this. It's like stop what you're doing, sit down and think about which parts of the thing you are are about to work on aren't bullshit. Really get to the core of it. If you can do that, um You're you're just like 80 steps ahead of people who don't do that. (laughs) Even .com slash careers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people ask me all the time, like, what's the difference between a junior designer and a senior designer? And it's like, oh, you want me to distill that into one thing? Sure, I'll I'll give you a soundbite. The difference is that a junior (laughs) designer will spend 80% of their time uh, doing work and 20% of their time figuring out what work to do. A senior designer will do the opposite of that. They will spend eighty percent of their time figuring out what work to do, and twenty percent of their time doing the work. Um, and really, the way that you can su- succeed at that is by thinking critically about what you're trying to achieve, what the pieces of what which pieces are important, which pieces are not important, what the eighty twenty of it eighty twenty of it is. And what I mean by that is the eighty twenty. When I say that, that's the so there's this concept in thermodynamics called the Pareto principle. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, this law says that 80% of the effects of a thermodynamic reaction are caused by 20% of the causes. So like, if you can really focus on the causes that achieve the 80% of the results, that's where you should be spending your time because it's just way more uh, leverage. Like, You're going to achieve so much more with so much little effort, less effort by focusing on those things. It turns out that the Pareto principle applies to tons of stuff outside of really nerdy thermodynamics. The
0: first principle of thermodynamics.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. We could, like The, the proto principle applies to everything. It applies to design. It applies to building a startup. It applies to how you should decorate your apartment. It applies to everything. Focus on what matters.
0: Okay, so sidetrack briefly. It often feels like that 80%, either to you or maybe it's something you're putting on people around you that you feel like it's, procrastination
2: hmm say more about that what do you mean
0: like how do you differentiate between i'm not ready to work on that because i'm still processing it and i'm not ready to work on it because i want to do something else (laughs) (laughs) like i definitely (laughs) i feel a sense of clarity when i come back to a thing like i just need to focus on something else for a while and that's a part of it there's also like a practically thinking at this problem for a while like and going back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes it just feels like procrastination.
2: Okay, so we're, I'm, I'm going to give you a weird analogy. Perfect. That's really
0: what I wanted. Please answer in form of weird analogy.
2: Um, that's my goal here. As many weird analogies as possible. So one. Of, this is a theory that I have. Uh, I call it the cognitive energy cup. Okay. <laughs> uh, I swear it's not weird. Um, I've so, read your blog, so I know it's coming. Have I blogged about this? No, but you mentioned it once. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so imagine that you, when you wake up, you have a cup, a glass, uh, full of cognitive energy. Everything that you do throughout the day consumes some energy from your cup. But it consumes it depending on the activity at different rates. So like sitting in traffic consumes energy, maybe at a pretty low rate. Uh, Solving a really hard design problem like the real, the meat of it, like the the non-pixel pushing stuff, consumes the energy at a really high rate. All the stuff though consumes energy, and you have a fixed amount of it. Now consider that the cup um, is actually made out of the energy itself, but like a more congealed form of it. Such that if you if you get to empty, but you keep trying to pull from the cup. You'll actually start to eat the cup like a Willy Wonka. You know, like the Willy Wonka candy (laughs) cup where like you drink out of it and then you bite the cup and it's like made of candy. Same thing. Uh Um, My cup (laughs) would be made out of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Chocolate milk in a chocolate cup. That's what that's what this is. Um, But that's really dangerous because if you eat the cup, the cup gets smaller. Yeah. And when you wake up tomorrow, you'll have less chocolate milk in your chocolate cup because your chocolate cup is smaller. Um, and so, the reason I'm giving you this super weird Willy Wonka chocolate cup analogy My chocolate
0: cup overfloweth. <laughs> it's
2: like you need to understand. <laughs> Dude, if your chocolate cup is overflowing, you are in a great spot <laughs> in your life. Or it's just really small. <laughs> don't, firstly, don't let yourself get it to a small cup. If you try to solve hard problems and you just don't feel like it, what that means is your cup is empty. And if you try to work on those things, you're going to make your cup smaller and smaller and smaller and all of a sudden you're gonna hate life and you're gonna get burnt out. That's what, that's what burnout is, is your cup is really small. So you need to manage your cognitive energy wisely. The hard stuff, when you wake up and your cup is most full, that's when you should be solving those problems. Uh, when you have most cognitive energy, don't force yourself in the afternoon when you just like don't have the energy, don't force yourself to ha- solve the hard stuff. It's okay to procrastinate to to work on the less important "quote unquote" things, um, but it is important that you use your cognitive energy wisely, and it's important you solve the hard problems because, like, ultimately, at a startup, anyway, you know, at, at even when you're you're trying to solve these really hard problems for these um people that often you you can't relate to and you really need to do a lot of research to understand that's like hard work it's really cognitive energy consuming work and so we we actually like build an organization around this cognitive energy chocolate milk cup principle uh-huh. where like we really set aside mornings no meetings mornings are the time when you're doing this hard work mornings are the time where you're solving the hard problems In the afternoon, if you want to do meetings or you want to like push pixels and like choose fonts and stuff, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's important too, but it consumes cognitive energy at a a slower rate. So it's totally okay to do that stuff in the afternoon, but be wise about how you use your energy. I just went on another rant. Where are you spending most of your,
1: where are you sipping most of your cup these days at even?
2: Right now, so this is a complicated answer, but so context switching. Um, what that means is basically like, um, as a founder of a company, you are doing, by definition, hundreds of different things. You're you know, designing a landing page. You're talking to a potential customer. You're uh, designing the actual product. You're managing someone. You're trying to recruit an engineer or a designer. You're doing all these different things. Some of those things are really high level. They're like strategic decisions that you're trying to make. Some of them are really low in the trenches. Like, what typeface should I choose for the app that we're making? Or like, what color should this button be? And actually, there's a lot of cognitive energy that's consumed in switching those contexts, going from high level to low level. It's very difficult. Uh, And I wish someone told me this (laughs) uh, when I first started. Um, But I would say... Uh, believe it or not, most of my energy is consumed, is sipped in switching the context, simply because of how much is demand, how many different things um, are demanded of my time. But I would say that I'm probably spending 25% of my time doing product design, 50% of my time uh, recruiting, trying to find really good people who can tolerate me, mm-hmm. um, and the other 25% on all of the other things. Uh, is there a way to make your cut bigger? Yeah. Don't, firstly don't don't let it get smaller. That's number one. Number two, like there are some some things that just like fulfill fill your soul. Like I, I use this the term soul in a very non religious way. The soul cup. Yeah. You could call it the soul cup. Soul cup <laughs> of chocolate. Uh, <laughs>
0: and that's the episode title. We that's nailed title. that one. <laughs>
2: uh soul cup of chocolate. You can make that bigger. Like, uh, it depends on who you are, what really, you know, fills your soul. For me, like, um, seeing musicals live... That's one thing that's like, if that makes my cup bigger so fast, like if, if I could afford to go see Hamilton, I would like, it. I'll just write it off as a business expense because that's making my cup huge.
0: We joked yeah. about taking a second A round and the A was Alexander <laughs> Hamilton.
2: Yeah. Don't discount that though. Um, that, that's one thing. Like for me playing video games, I'll sit here and admit that to you. That, that yeah, fills my totally. cup up yeah. um, and, and you could argue makes it bigger. What are right? you playing right now? Uh, I play a lot of FIFA. So um yeah FIFA. That's is like a th- serious video game. That's not even man. F- yeah. <laughs> I also play. I play a lot of Civilization. Oh my god! I played the series <laughs> video games. It is so good. Oh, I spent
0: twenty three hours in one weekend playing that. Yeah, it's not healthy. Yeah. yeah, it's bad. We burned out one weekend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wish you guys included me on the burnout <laughs> session so we could have some solidarity. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I wasn't in my apartment feeling really guilty about it. We could feel guilty about it together.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, we felt guilty. Together, it was pretty bad. Together separately, because he was playing a different game than me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, So musicals fulfills you. Musicals are a big thing. I'm a big soccer fan. That's something I've grown into. Um, Watching soccer fills the cup back up. Going on walks, my girlfriend and I go on walks a lot, Um, fills the cup back up, makes it bigger. Like The way that you make it bigger is by leaving energy in it, I would say, uh, at the end of the day. And, and that's just how the
0: milk congeals and
2: adds. That, su- <laughs> exactly. You leave chocolate milk out. It gets solid. It's gross. But, but solid. It gets solid. <laughs> it's it beca- gross, but it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my, that's just not a thing for me right now. So the cup doesn't really get that much bigger. It's almost like a constant battle to just keep, keep it from getting smaller. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, actually. It's when you get it to be really small that you need to do something. Uh, take a vacation. Really go check out for a while. Go live in the woods. If that's your thing. Um, because imagine like waking up with a shot glass full of energy every day. Like it's no one, your work's not going to be good. You don't have enough energy to put to it. So don't push yourself beyond what is possible. Um, be wise in how you spend your time. That's the moral of this story, if there is one.
1: You know, there, there's something else I want to tangent off of that. Uh, you wrote a lot two years ago, or it seemed <laughs> like you wrote a lot.
0: Yeah. Two years ago was a good time in your life. You were, you were spending all of your cup on
2: writing. <laughs> That's, you have no idea. Like this time in my life, uh, it was an opportunity that almost no human beings on our planet will ever get. I made an app which was really successful. A bunch of people gave us $4 for for a magic trick, basically. And what was it? It's called Knock to Unlock. You knock on your iPhone, even if it's in, if it's in oh your pocket. Oh my
0: God, I gave you $4. Thank you.
2: <laughs> you enabled this. Fuck! Thank <laughs> how did it, I give it back? <laughs> thank you for your money. <laughs> it was so great. You enabled me to spend a year thinking about, I was life. so hyped on that <laughs> shit when I came <laughs> out. It was really cool, right? Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. And and um, it put me in this incredibly fortunate position where I didn't have to work for like a year. And I was like literally sitting outside in an Adirondack chair, like thinking about what I wanted to do uh, with my life and like what how I could communicate some of my ideas to people. And that's when I wrote all this stuff. Um, I just don't have the time to do it now, uh, probably Uh, for better.
1: Can you share a little more about that? Like, what did you come up with? Because the things you wrote about don't seem to me that they were, what should you do with your life? They seemed actually quite tactical and...
2: Well, one thing I should make clear is anytime I write something, it's really so that I can understand what the hell is going on in my head. Um, so I, I, (laughs) it seems weird. Like, so perhaps the audience... Uh, the people who are listening, you don't understand, uh, know the details of this core post thing that we've been talking about. Basically, I wrote this post called Design Doesn't Deserve a Seat at the Table. I wrote it like three years ago, and no one cared at all when I published Quora it. Core
0: posts don't exactly go big
2: because <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the atten- in- intention. Yeah, I was yeah, really yeah. just trying to like could, l- get my own thoughts out there so I could make sense of them. Totally. Um, and then like randomly three years later, it blew up and became this thing that people seem to care about now for some reason. <laughs> but basically, the reason I wrote it was so that I could understand what was important to me, how I felt about business and, and how to create value in business and what actually mattered. But I will say that there, any anytime you do something, there is very likely some catalyst that, that pushes your motivation uh, beyond the threshold where like now I'm going to do something. Um, B.J. Fogg, uh, Stanford professor of behavioral um, economics, would call this like the tipping point or the trigger. Mm -hmm. Um, My trigger was this post uh, that someone had written um, about how designers had like earned a seat at the table in Silicon Valley and were at risk of losing it because like they weren't designing good stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so absurd. What are we even talking about? Like, Why are we even talking about this? We're focusing on all the wrong things. Uh, I should write something about that. <laughs> I can write Even this Even though wrong. no one will care. Um, and so I sat in my Someone is wrong trunk. on the internet. <laughs> yes, that's exactly yeah. what it was. It was not any cooler or more intelligent than that. Uh, someone's wrong on the internet. I can write something. Uh, so I did. And no one cared. And now people care uh, three years later. I'm still not sure why,
0: but they do. I think it came up at an interesting time in an interesting conversation. Like people were still having this... Should designers have a seat at the table? Thing we do this should designers thing way too often. Way too often. Um, you've missed you've missed a lot of the good ones <laughs> by by being under a rock. So, kudos, well, kudos they're to they're to you. the ones that make me mute a significant part of my timeline. They're uh, that yeah. good.
1: <laughs> but you know, I think you've the the trigger for you is actually pretty interesting to me. Do you disagree that people are not working on interesting and hard problems and? One piece of data I have is that a month ago, you tweeted. I'm going to quote one of your tweets. Uh, You said, I'd like to put together a list of startups
2: that are hiring and working on real problems. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by real problems versus- So this this? list is coming. I have not abandoned this, even though it was a month ago. And um, So this is a very valid question. What the heck is a real problem? If you will read one of the subtweets of that tweet- Oh, shit. The, the sub tweets or the reach <laughs> like, the oh, replies. replies? I got it. Okay. Uh, sub tweets uh, are uh, a different thing, so my dude. Someone challenged me on this. Like, what's a real problem, uh, Jackass? They didn't actually say that. But uh, I'm they talked about that. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is Twitter solving a real problem? Um, and the answer of man course, on is... Twitter. <laughs> 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 of course, Twitter solves real problems, although it's not really clear what they are. Um, no, real problems are not a thing. And in the past, I have said almost vociferously, hyperbolically, there is no such thing as a real problem. You should never shit on an entrepreneur or a designer or an engineer for working on a quote-unquote fake problem because the way that you actually solve real problems is usually indirect. It's usually by accident because the real hairy problems are so systemic. They're so complicated that the solution is not obvious and there's no way you could find it on purpose. You have to achieve it indirectly. So that I believe that. Um, however, something interesting happened a month ago. Do you recall what it was? The presidential election. Yes, the presidential election happened. And so that, I think, changed the calculus of how you should talk about things. Because how you talk about things matters a lot. It influences people. It causes people to act one way or another based on... Uh, Heuristics I would say like am i am I doing the right thing with my time um and so what I mean by a real problem with this new, in this new world this this post election world is a problem that addresses the fundamental inequality that exists in our society, and there's many different types of inequality, inequality of economic opportunity, like as a as a white male from Canton, Massachusetts, with great public schools and low cost of living like we talked about. I play life on easy mode. I can get access to any opportunity that I want. Uh I can go to any school that I want. I can pay, my parents will pay for it, right? I can move to Brooklyn and join this agency because my brother can afford to rent a truck and drive me there. That's real economic opportunity. Without that, I wouldn't have been able to get to the job. Um and that that doesn't exist up and down uh Americans uh, uh, up and down the income ladder the, there's people uh in fact normal people average Americans who who can't afford a car to get to a better job that would actually allow them to move forward in life that's economic opportunity that's just one kind of economic mm-hmm. uh one kind kind of inequality how about healthcare inequality of healthcare mm-hmm. even just where you live and the proximity to a hospital or to a doctor who um, has the specialty that you need. Like that's another type of inequality. So affordable access to quality healthcare is, is tremendously unequal in our country. How about education? The same, the same thing is true. The type of education that I got at Canton High uh, is so different than the education that you'll get at a public school in the Bronx, let alone a public school in rural North Carolina, it might as well be uh two different countries it's so different how is how is that fair so like these are the fundamental inequalities of our country that we can fix as designers and engineers and entrepreneurs in silicon valley if only we try um and so when i say the calculus has changed what i mean by that is like what i bl- said before where real you, you shouldn't shit on people for not solving real problems because you can solve real problems indirectly. I still think that's true. But I think that there are lots of smart people here, um, lots of really talented people with tools like design and tools like software engineering that that can address these basic inequalities in our society, but not enough people are just, you know, living under a rock, putting their head down and working on the problems and it's so urgent now uh, after the election that we solve these problems sooner rather than later before the country splits apart it's so urgent that even though uh the most high, the high leverage way to solve these problems is indirectly it's worth focusing on directly too um and that's what you're doing it, we're doing part of it we're certainly not doing all of it
1: no 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 but it's you're we haven't taking, talked about that yet. You're we taking should. the direct approach instead of the indirect approach. Do I have that right?
2: We are taking uh, some something in between. De- we're definitely doing it purposefully. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as Bryn Rively pointed out, and probably no no one really knows what we're actually doing. Um, if you're not familiar with even and, yeah, and listening yeah, to quick, this, um, uh, so the problem that we're ch- we're trying to solve is is that people are just really bad at money for a whole host of reasons. I won't bore you to death with why, but there's really three parts. The first part is that from an anthropological perspective, like as, as humans who have evolved, um, we evolved to be good at hunter, hunting and gathering. Uh, we evolved to find food so that we don't die, subsisting. And so our brain is really good at that. It's amazing at solving for what a math person would call the local maxima. What is the thing that I need to do to succeed in the short term? But it's not really good at thinking about the future. It's not really good at finding the solution for the global maxima, like given all of the, the time in the future that I can imagine. We're just really bad at that. And it turns out that as our society has evolved really rapidly since the agricultural revolution, it has all these new demands on us that like being good at money, like if you're not good at money, you just can't go anywhere. Uh, in life, because that's what our society uh, puts emphasis on. And here we are with the same brain that we had when it wasn't important at all to be good at money, now demands that we are. Uh, and our brain's just not good at it. And and we don't really acknowledge that. But that's just the first part of the problem. There's also the second part of the problem, which is more of like a, a neuropsychological, uh, has more of a psychological bent to it, which is that um, even if that anthropological thing was 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 not true, when you don't have a lot of money... It's just really stressful. I think everyone can relate to that, uh, even if, even if uh, you're doing okay now. Um, and that stress has profound physiological consequences. Uh, the, it causes uh, like a psychological condition called tunneling, which is like your brain's way of, of allocating all your computer's RAM to the task that you have open. Everything else gets completely shut down. It, it forces you to be like hyper-focused, which is great if you're being chased by a lion. (laughs) So you can like run away from the lion and only worry about that. Not worry about like feeding your kids and like the tribal drama that you have. Um, But it's terrible when you exist in a modern society and you have all these concerns you have to juggle and you have to like multitask and oh, by the way, be good at money. Um, And so actually not having a lot of money creates a a bit of an impediment that makes it even harder because of what it does to your brain. Um, and even if that weren't true, there's this third part of the problem, which is that uh, when you are born into a family like mine, I didn't choose it, just luck, luck of the dice. Um, we, where we had a low cost of living, my dad had enough money, I can get this credit card that I, can, I spend money I'm going to spend anyway. And it will print free plane tickets just for spending money because the bank wants me as their customer. If I was born into the family next door to where I grew up, the Phoens, their dad worked for the town and made maybe like twenty thousand dollars less. Not a huge difference. Not only could they not get access to that credit card, but the products and services that they would have access to to do the same job would take ten and twenty percent of their income payday loans, overdraft fees, low balance fees, late bills um that that's just that's, it's like a tax. It's a tax on you simply because of the family that you're born into. And when you combine all these things together, it's like, whoa, uh, someone should probably do something about this, right? Um, and so that's what we're trying to do is solve this problem, this economic inequality. Um, we basically have this idea that that uh, if you look at, at all people on our planet, intelligence and talent, those are pretty evenly distributed. Like, people from all walks of life, all families, all races, all countries, all levels of education, like that talent is in there somewhere. Uh, But the opportunity to let it flourish, it's not. It is not evenly distributed. Not everyone has access to let it flourish. And so we're trying to build um, a a new type of financial institution that just relieves you of the burden of having to make those decisions um, in order to give everyone the same economic opportunity. so that's a bit a lot of information. You've um, it, thought about this. <laughs> yeah. In that year where I think that Bryn gave me four dollars, I could sit there and think about this kind Thanks of thing. Thanks a lot,
1: Bryn. Now he's You've solving, solving funded my dreams, man. Economic yes. inequality. You have funded
2: my
0: dreams. I'm putting my money where my mouth is four years ago.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's fascinating and it sounds pretty like simple and straightforward to solve, right? it, dude, yeah, I wish it, it I w- sounds
0: simple
2: yeah i wish someone it's, it's, told me how hard this was gonna this be. is easy huh <laughs> i wish my mom sat me down and was like look you don't realize what you're about to do it's gonna be hard no one said that to me i mean i knew like entrepreneurs talk all the time about how hard it is but you like don't appreciate it until you're doing it um
0: you know, it's really hard what's well, um, hard about it <laughs> so,
2: yeah, why are you complaining what, what, so much? Hard? John. <laughs> John, <laughs> <laughs> You grew up in Camden, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, my life is not hard. Like I said, I play live on easy mode, but but the thing that's uniquely difficult about the business that we're trying to build is like uh, so General Eisenhower, the guy who saved the entire planet during World War II, he's one of my favorite guys. He did highways. Uh, he did highways <laughs> in America. <laughs> that boy also, did highways. Also a sweet thing. Thanks, Eisenhower. He one of the things that he he famously said is like, never fight a two front war. Just don't do it. Uh, and in fact, in World War II, one of the reasons military strategists suggest that the allies were so successful is because uh, Hitler entered into a two-front war because of his ego. Um, <laughs> sorry to get into nerdy military strategy here, but um, civilization. I got it. <laughs> yeah. I see, I, this is interesting to me because um, the civilization game. It helps me win. Um, uh, but the, the thing about building a business is it's very similar and that you really have to focus on one thing. You can't have two fronts. Uh, You have to have one front and really focus all your energy on that because uh, almost by definition as a startup, you're going to have not that many people and way too much work to do. So you really, really, really need to have everyone pushing towards one thing, one front, trying to win one thing. Turns out that the business we're trying to build, we have three fronts. We're not dealing with a two front war. We're dealing with a three front war. and The three fronts are we have to make a product that real humans, real people love. So this is like the product design consumer <laughs> front, and it's hard, um, super hard to make a product that people love. Second front, we also have to be a financial institution. We have to be like, good at math.
0: <laughs> we uh, have to do numbers yeah, real, gotta, good. Gotta <laughs> real good. We got to
2: make spreadsheets real good. We have to be good at math uh, because we are like giving money to people, and we kind of want that money back. Uh, and so we need we need to have financial models, uh, which. Uh, are hard enough, but we've actually invented new financial models that have never existed before. So there's a lot of uncertainty there and there's a lot of ways to get it wrong. So we have to fight that battle too. And then we have this third front where we also have to sell to big companies um, because of the way that we are going to get our product in people's hands where they offer it as a benefit. Uh, it's a way that we can reach a lot of people really quickly. I see. So yep. we kind of also have to be like an enterprise company. You have to fight like the enterprise front at the same time. And this is not unprecedented. There are lots of startups that have like two fronts. Um, and I'm sure there's some that have three. But it does make it harder because you have to you have to juggle three balls in the air um, all the time. Two balls is pretty easy. I can do two <laughs> balls. Give me two balls right now. I'll juggle them. But three, uh, it's, I don't about yeah know, like, so yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. But design is incredibly important to all three of those things, believe it or not. Uh, and again, just if you actually think about design with a lowercase d as like solving problems, um, you can apply it to all sorts of domains, including math, including convincing a VP of HR at a Fortune 100 company to use your thing. Like, it's all just figuring stuff out. And design is like one way of figuring stuff out. And if you practice it a lot, you can get really good at it. Uh, But it's like really powerful, actually. You can apply those some of the things that you learn, I have found, to uh, other parts of the business, too. One thing, if we're keeping this
1: military thing, military metaphor going, if you have a small team fighting on three fronts, it sounds exhausting. It sounds challenging. How do you keep people motivated? And the background of this is what you wrote on your website. I, I really liked a lot of your writing was you want a ruthless culture. Do I have that right?
2: <laughs> I think I did use those words. At you some used point. Yeah, yeah. ruthless, yeah. the word
1: ruthless. So I want to know a little bit about how you think about building a team that, that can fight that fight on three fronts as a small team, building and inventing new things.
0: No one named Ruth. <laughs>
2: also,
1: with this context of you believing in what I'd love for you to describe as a, a ruthless culture.
2: Yeah, I've evolved. I've evolved my, <laughs> no, I, I've evolved my vocabulary. Okay. Um, so, yeah, caveat this: I was three years younger, uh, three years less wise when I used that word. I don't think that word's wrong. the The way that I would put it now is, um, we I really believe in autonomy a lot. I really believe in empowering people to truly make their own decisions, giving them the information that they need, and then getting out of the way. In fact, the like the ethos, if I had a, a soundbite, would be like hire great people and get the fuck out of the way. That's that's really the approach that we take. That sounds easy. <laughs> it does sound easy. <laughs> it's it's not what happens by default. That's the thing. Yeah. So you have to like really go out of your way to make it work in reality. It's like great it's great on a blog post. It's super easy to write about this, but it's not how humans work normally in real life. Uh-huh. I have found. And learned the hard way. Um, and so you have to be purposeful in designing an organization that actually allows people to be autonomous, gives them the information that they need, empowers them to make real executive decisions. Um, but if you do that, if you succeed at, at achieving that level of autonomy, uh, you can do a lot. You can fight three fronts with very few people. Now, the reason the word ruthless is still relevant is to achieve the same amount of results with, with fewer people, even if you're, you're succeeding at this autonomy thing. Um, you need to find people who want to thrive in that type of environment. And the type of person that I have found that actually will thrive in that environment versus the person who thinks that they will. And uh, as someone who thought that they would and then is now doing it, and a lot of days I get up and feel like I've made a mistake. Uh, so most days I don't, but a lot of days I do. where did I put my cup? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, a lot of days I feel like I've made a mistake. I'm not sure if I'm that person. I'm not sure if I'm that person I wrote about in the blog post. Um, but the person who will thrive every day is someone who just really wants to make stuff happen and is willing to be ruthless about it. Now that doesn't mean like being mean to people. It doesn't mean shitting on someone else's work it does mean focusing on uh, actually achieving the results and, and in many cases, only caring about that. Um, and if you actually find, if you bring people together who just really want to make change happen in the world, as I believe we have, it starts to become infectious um, and, and it can rub off on people. Um, and over time, you can, have, you can expose more and more people to this kind of ruthlessness. But at the very beginning, you have to find like crazy people uh, people who probably are like a little bit maladjusted to society. <laughs> Done, <laughs> um, all over it. Yeah, and so I think we've, I think we've maybe we've achieved that. Uh, time will tell. Uh, we've got a lot to prove. Certainly. What's uh, what's your measure of success for even? Over what time period? Because I so I'll give you I'll give you the that's the, a great place to start. So. My, my, I don't talk about this a lot publicly because it's insane. Patrick Collison w- says a lot of really smart things. Uh, this, Patrick Collison is the CEO of Stripe. Says a lot of really smart things. One of my favorite really smart things that he has said is that as a startup founder, as a CEO, you really only deserve to think as far out as your company has existed. So if your company's two years old, you can only think two years out should not be worried about things five years out. If your company's two months old, if you're just like getting started, stop worrying about things far out in the future. You've got stuff to deal with now. You should be thinking about the next week. And so I don't talk about this a lot because we're like two and a half years old. And so the metric that I give you is like generations. But that's the real answer to your question. Um, my metric of success, if we have succeeded at uh, evening the playing field, giving people access to economic opportunity. The way that we will know is if more people get four-year degrees after a generation has passed. Because basically what happens when you are spending all of your cognitive energy and your chocolate cognitive energy cup on, you know, just struggling through life, you don't have energy at the end of the day for things like parenting, for things like helping your kids with homework, making sure that they're doing well in school making sure that they can grow up to have the economic opportunity that you may not have had. And if we are successful at relieving the burden from people, that means they'll have cognitive energy in their cup at the end of the day to help their kids be better at school, to go to a four-year university, and to get the economic opportunity that they didn't have. And so it will take us a generation that's literally like twenty five years at least, and we've only existed for two and a half so it makes me very uncomfortable to be saying this out loud but that's like the ultimate metric of success I think we have others we have short term ones but those are the, I don't share these with the board uh, but <laughs> <What>? the, <laughs> hope they don't listen. <laughs> But yeah but this is this that's the that's the ultimate one I would say
0: you mentioned you wouldn't share this with the board
2: mm-hmm I think sorry, Keith, if he's listening.
0: Um, I think people tend to withhold specific information from people, especially employees. Mm-hmm. I think people tend to lie and say that they're doing better than they are. Mm-hmm. And you just said some things that—I mean—they're recorded.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so when I say I wouldn't say this to the board, Keith, actually, one thing I'll say about him—he believed in what we were doing before I did. That's a bit of an exaggeration. Uh, but I, I owe the guy a lot of uh, uh, credit. Um, and I have said these things to him. When I say that I wouldn't share it with the board, it's like the board is not interested. Any board of any company it's is not interested in a metric 25 years out. Um, like a year out is the max. Um, so like I'm not going to make a board deck about <laughs> increasing attendance at four-year universities. Sure, in 25 years. I would love years. to be in that board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you make a, a great point, which is that uh, a, it's often seen as strategic mm-hmm. to uh, make it seem like things are going better than they are. Mm-hmm. And you can understand why, like, right? Like, let me tell you right now, if you ask 100 founders what the hardest part of their job is or their biggest problem. Hiring. Almost all of them will say hiring. And anyone who doesn't say hiring is lying to you. Uh hiring is the hardest problem. And like it's like a, it's like uh, a sales game. You have to you have to make things seem amazing. You want to get on this good ship lollipop. Um at least that's the most. That's Do you the, say that though? <laughs> no, good shit lollipop. I don't think I've ever said that out <laughs> loud. Got this Did good you say
0: shit lollipop?
2: <laughs> Did you say good ship lollipop I'll, or good you know what? shit <laughs> lollipop? The good, the value of that phrase is it sounds like both. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and it's up it. to Fuck you. To two it. for yeah. one. It's, <laughs> it's a two front metaphor. Yeah. Um, no, but you can understand why it's selling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to you want to make things seem amazing so that you can convince people to take a chance on you as a founder, like one. I don't think people realize, like, I have insecurities too, right? And, like, I'm sitting down with this, like, really strong engineer. It's like, is he going to like me? Is she going to think I'm not an idiot? These are what's going on in my head. And so the natural uh, reaction is to present yourself in the best light, and we can get carried away with that. And, make, and maybe lie a little bit about how things are going because it's important that you control the perception of your company because in many cases, perception is reality. Um, but it comes with some trade-offs. If you're constantly lying about how things are going, uh, it's very easy to start lying to yourself. And that is the ultimate danger. I would actually say the hardest part, and I, I've said this to uh, my, my, my product team, the hardest part of making a good product, actually, we talked about this at- uh, we, did, we were at a Greylock event together. Yeah, a so Greylock yeah. event where I asked, I asked designers, what's the hardest part of, of design? And, and people had some great answers. Not what I would have said. I would have said, the hardest part of design is managing your psychology. The number one challenge in managing your psychology is not lying to yourself, um, and that's true not only of design, but it's true of building a company. It's true of everything, because if you if you delude yourself, um, you lose sight. You lose the ability completely to understand how to invest your time. Um, let me give you like a very concrete example, because this is uh, super high level and maybe abstract and hard to understand. Um, so. We've talked about this a little bit, but like as if you work at a startup, I can guarantee you that there will be not enough people and way too much work to do. So prioritization of your time is incredibly important. There will be a thousand things that you need to do, whether you're the CEO or, the, or an entry-level like, com- customer service associate, right? There will be a thousand things that you need to do and not enough time. So you have to get good at prioritization. If you're lying to yourself about how things are going and what your problems are, you you start to, you lose the ability to see what what the problems are and how how you should be spending your time. Because let me tell you, there are going to be tons of problems in working on a, a startup. And your job, whether you're the CEO or a customer service associate entry level, just trying to make your first break in Silicon Valley, your job is to solve the company's problems. But if you don't know what they are, how can you do that? And if if you're just constantly keeping up this perception that things are going great, even though they're not, that will creep its way into how you think about what you should be doing with your time and cause you to spend your time on things that don't matter at all to the success of the company. Um, so sure, can you be nuanced about this and like put a really great face to the public but also not lie to yourself in private? Are there entrepreneurs who are probably incredible at this? Yes. Am I one of them? No. So I just like throw the baby out with the bathwater maybe. And I'm just (laughs) going to be honest about things. Stuff's really hard. We're doing a good job. But like there's a lot of stuff we haven't figured out and we need to figure it out. We don't have enough people. We definitely need more really smart people. Um, But maybe it's easier to do this because I, I can get up every day and the people I work with can get up every day and we feel really good about what we're trying to do. And that makes it a lot easier. It makes it a lot easier to... To not lie to yourself makes it a lot easier to say look man i don't know what i'm doing for most of the stuff that i do and that's okay because at least we're trying at least we're trying to make things better um that's how i think about it and i try to extend that to everything because if it's just easier if you just say i'm uh, let's flip the switch i'm gonna be honest about everything and I don't have to like make decisions about what information to share or what not to share. We'll just always be honest. And it actually, I didn't, I didn't know this going into it. Um, this was not like a grand strategic master plan, but one of the great uh, benefits of flipping that switch and just not lying about anything, about how things are going, is that people really start to believe the things that you say all the time. It's like, if you give feedback to someone, they know that it's coming from a place where of of earnestness of genuine try, genuinely trying to make uh your job easier trying to make the company more successful trying to make the world better you don't have to like do this calculus when someone says something to you about like what are what are the real motivations mm-hmm. like are they just are they trying to manipulate me Are they giving me the shit sandwich? For those of you who are not familiar with that, the shit sandwich is like a very common manager's technique of like, you know. Compliment,
0: garbage, compliment. Yeah,
2: it's like compliment, real thing I want you to know, and if you don't understand this, I'm going to fire you. Generally
0: a mean thing.
2: Yeah, it's like, you look really nice today. The wireframe you made was fucking terrible, (laughs) and I hate you. But your hair is great. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's a very... That's not actually... Well, a... <laughs> the mock-up yeah, yeah. in general no. was terrible. That that one icon was really nice, but the... like <laughs> Just don't do that. Yeah. Um, because that that those kind of strategies get people thinking about what you're saying. And if you can just be honest in a nice way, in a constructive way, this is not licensed to be an a-hole. Um, but if you're just always up front with people about how things are going for you, if you're willing to... Be vulnerable and say, look, I'm having a hard time today. I cried last night. Uh, last night I didn't actually cry. Maybe like two nights ago. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're willing to be vulnerable with people, uh, it, it makes it so they don't have to think about uh, what your motivations are. Um, they're willing to be vulnerable with you. And all of a sudden you get this like connectivity between people, this like mutual respect, this mutual understanding that we just don't have by default in our society. Uh it, it's not it does not going to work for every organization maybe. It's not going to work for everyone in every organization, but if you can do it, uh it it reaps huge benefits. Um and it starts with not lying to other founders about how the company's going or how hard <laughs> crushing it is it. or is not. Yeah. Um so yeah, I I don't I don't tell the board, I don't tell Keith about this 25 year success metric cuz he would laugh at me, but uh, we also don't lie to him. Um, at least not on purpose. Uh, I say not on purpose because like there are lots of things I'm wrong about. Sure. Yeah, sure. I might like, <laughs> I, I know that feeling That's not very well. <laughs> well. <It's> like, <laughs> I'm telling you as much as I can with
0: as much information as I can. Some it's going to be wrong. Time will prove me. But I, I think know. when you have that level of connectivity and trust, you, you give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, that they mean well, even if something doesn't come to pass. Um, and they fully intended to do whatever the thing was.
1: We're over time. But on that note, we like to ask at the end, what keeps you up at night?
0: Maybe not on that note. <laughs> In the metaphysical.
2: <laughs> well, recently, there's
0: there's been this garbage truck. God damn it. Everyone does. <laughs> no, I'm
2: sorry. Uh, John. Terrible. <laughs> really, this was my stalling tactic. So yeah. that I can actually think about this. So, there's so many levels to this answer, but... Um, the thing that keeps me up uh am I doing enough that's the I don't recommend that people feel this way because it's not sweet, but a lot of the time I, I lay awake and wonder if'm I'm, if I'm doing enough and part of what that part of what that means is is look i i um I believe that to to whom much is given much is expected, and I have been given a lot. Not a lot of money, you know, not a fancy car uh, or like um, amazing, handsome looks. But I've been given a lot. Uh, I had great parents. I had great, great teachers. My parents, you know, I had the ability to be creative growing up. I got to go to to a good college. I had someone take a chance on me. Um, i 've been given a lot, and I believe that uh I have to do something with it and I feel that generally i 'm going in the right direction, but on a day to day basis i don 't know if i 'm spending my time in the most in the way that can most efficiently help the most people so I think about that a lot <laughs> like a more a more Low-level tactical thing, lame answer to the question is how, like, "Am I? How are we going to hire a good, <laughs> a good designer? Yeah. Um, how are we going to find a software engineer who can work in the type of environment that I've described? So can stuff we, like that. Can
1: we Actually, tactical stuff is is great. I, I love the original answer, um, but the tactical side of of what you just said how how do you start? How do you start looking for that person? Because you know what you want based on this conversation we've had in the last hour. I feel like you know exactly what you want, which is the first step of the battle. Like so, that's
0: a very hard thing to figure out in the first. Well, first place.
1: of all, am I right or wrong? And then you are right, and it's different I, okay. for everyone. So then, how how are you executing on that? How how do you say I know exactly what I want? Like, what channels are you going to? How do you interview people? Like, I'm. I actually am curious of the the tactics here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so. I I'm bad at this. Uh so you really what I'm about to say, do not write this down as a master plan. We're recording
0: it. Sorry, we're already done. Uh, we do
2: we do everything. The the real answer to this question is we do all the things because uh it just it becomes a game where you uh it's there's just so few people that are willing to work with us. I'll put it that way. <laughs> that, that And you have, there's no correlation of like where they are that I have observed that would help us find where they live. Um, like Places that they've worked before, schools that they've come out of. None of that stuff indicates whether or not there's someone who wants to exist in this crazy, autonomous, ruthless company that we are building. So there are no like hacks. There's no tricks. And so we just like apply a lot of brute force. You know, we reach out to people cold on LinkedIn, although it's terrible. We go to design talks. We go on design podcasts. We uh, write blog posts and hope that people reach out to us about them. We go to um, colleges and try to find young people. We do everything. But the th- the thing that I have found if there's like one is this one way to solve this problem for a startup. And I I don't claim to have come up with this solution. Peter Thiel actually laid this out, not for me, but for anyone in his book Zero to One. Um as a startup year like so I'm I'm from New England, from from Massachusetts, I'm a Patriots fan. I really like Tom Brady. Tom Brady in 2001 rode the bench. He was a, like a seventh round draft pick. No one thought he was going to be the best quarterback of all time. Well, he just needed to find the right ball inflator. <laughs> let's not get into that, <laughs> sir. Uh, but, like, if you let's roll back to 2001, and like Tom Brady comes up to you and is like, You should join the Patriots. We're going to win three Super Bowls. Firstly, he wouldn't like never say that. But if he did, you'd be like, What? You're an idiot. What like, accent is that, Tom Brady? <laughs> 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 who are you? That, I, that was my Michigan accent. I apologize, people from Michigan. Um, that's what we are as a startup. That's what every startup is. We're Tom Brady in 2001. We think we're going to be the best quarterback of all time, but no one else does, and rightfully so. And so if you want to get really good people, you have to find people who uh,
0: don't Won't have the ball for you.
2: God damn! It, Bryn. <laughs> Are you secretly a Giants fan? Are no, you it's you a just Manning team fans. <laughs> I don't know what football is. Um, <laughs>
1: you have to find people who
2: <laughs> believe in you enough to invite the, po- the football group <laughs> You Portland. Ha- Get out of here, Bryn. <laughs> <laughs> you have to find people who, uh, who aren't discovered yet, who don't have a fancy resume, who can't look at you and say, I don't need you. You need to find people who do need you, people who need to have a chance taken on them like I had a chance taken on me. I couldn't walk into Facebook when I graduated and have them take me seriously. I couldn't go to Google. I tried. It's not hypothetical. Like, I tried. I applied for a job at Google. And they were like, what are you you doing here? Uh, And so you need to find people and take a chance on them. Um, And that's primarily where we spend our effort and we – Spent a long time trying to find the signal. Of like, who's a high potential person? Who's the, the Tom Brady? And I can be their ball inflator. Uh, that, that's, that's what we try to do. Uh,
1: uh, 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 imagine that right now you're talking to a lot of people that, that could be that person.
0: Like 15,000 probably.
1: What's the biggest thing that you've encountered as you've been going through this hiring process that people just fuck up?
2: Okay, this is very easy. Hiring, don't think of it as anything other than you are a human and there is a human somewhere out there on the other side of an internet connection looking at a screen just like you are, reading the thing that you sent, looking at your portfolio. Try to connect with that human. It's very important that you, you actually make an effort to think about the situation that that human is in what they might be looking for, and how you can get their attention. If you do that, no one does that. Let me be clear. 99.99999 repeating percent of people don't do that. If you do that, I will look at your shit. If you use my name correctly, if you spell it right, you're like getting a huge step (laughs) ahead. (laughs) Um, cuz I'm a human, right? Like I I have a lot of stuff on my plate. Certainly, I look at a lot of portfolios. The way that you can stand out is not by like changing the background color of your website a thousandth time. It's thinking about the person that you're interacting with.
0: Even if their avatar is their face on a llama.
2: Dude, if you <laughs> that's a signal. If you put a llama in your portfolio, bam, you're getting a job. Uh, this is real takes, by the way. It's real. all like <laughs> You got, it's all about people. I actually, oh, think we have a notary th- out in the hallway. <laughs> Can <we> stamp that. <laughs> no guarantees. I do like llamas. Please do not make llama portfolios. Um, think about the people. This is not. This is. Uh, this is not advice that applies only to hiring either. Like, just think about the people and and everything that you do, and you're going to be a huge leap ahead of people who don't. Uh, there's a really good book about this, actually. If you if you really want advice, don't take it from me. Take it from a guy who wrote a book about this and sold a lot of copies. Well, you wrote a Quora <laughs> post, so basically the same thing. Uh, the, okay. <laughs> uh, this book I'm just gonna ignore that. Uh, this book is, is "How to Win Friends and Influence People." This book is very controversial. A lot of people think it's bad. I think it's really good. But what it definitely does is causes it. It sort of points out. That we're all humans, we all have insecurities, uh, we're, we're all, you, we all have buttons that you can press. Figure out what the buttons are and press them. If you focus on that, that's how you can get the attention of someone who might give you a chance. That's a Pussycat doll song push buttons (laughs) are you the comic relief is that your thing kind of (laughs) I can't
1: think of a better way to end this podcast than with a pussycat doll thanks for coming on I'm
2: I'm sorry sorry. (laughs) it's the music that's playing I'm sorry Uh, for everything uh, thanks for coming on
1: thanks so much for hanging out John
2: anytime
0: that was episode 177 thank you so much for listening thanks to John for coming and hanging out with us if you
1: want more podcasts for your earballs, go to spec.fm. We have several other podcasts for designers and developers helping you level up. So many podcasts. So many podcasts. Uh, that's at spec.fm. And of course, before we go, thanks so much to Wayno for making this episode and so many other episodes like it possible. Go to wayno.co. That's U E N O.co. Check out their work, get inspired, follow them on Twitter, Dribbble, Instagram. Uh, they are a lovely and awesome group of humans that we are so lucky to know. And you can join them. Go to the bottom of their website at Wayno.co. They're hiring product designers and design interns here in San Francisco, as well as product designers in New York. Uh, hit them up. Tell them we sent you. Get a job. Work with an awesome team. Thanks so much, Wayno, for making this episode possible.
0: We also would love your feedback. Hit us up. We're at Design Details FM on Twitter. Let us know what you thought of the show uh we'd also appreciate it if you would go and write reviews on itunes it takes only a couple seconds but we've read them all we'd love more so those are like the best thing. like when you're having a hard day those Mm. reviews Mm. sometimes when i'm crying alone drinking hot
1: chocolate on a cold winter's day i'll just go scroll through itunes reviews of our podcast and then you notice that a bunch
0: came in at once and it pushed us way up the charts yeah we're like top five
1: and a single tear rolls down my cheek into my hot chocolate
0: and i say "Mm, that's salty that salty chocolate all right that's a that's a wonderful ending super professional i loved it uh thank you everyone for listening we'll see you next week Ryan, so, okay, so I have a Nerf crossbow and a lightsaber. Do you want to try and deflect Nerf bullets? Yeah. Oh, that'd be
1: sick. Can we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.